All right. How you guys doing, City Church? Doing well. Um, for those of you who are new, my name is Sean Little. I'm the community and teaching pastor. Uh, again, we're so thankful that y'all are here, uh, and I'm excited to preach back to back. Who gets that reference? Right there. All right, yeah. Because uh, Jeff is gone this weekend, and I was reminded this uh, week by the internet uh, that it was National Bosses Day this week. So Jeff kind of stopped in my office. He was like, hey, do you want to go get lunch? I was like, yeah, man, you're my boss. Let me buy lunch for you. Uh, and I, I was thinking about it this morning. He often praises uh, staff and folks from up front. Uh, I am so glad that Jeff is my boss. I appreciate him as a man. I appreciate him as a thinker, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a husband. Um, and I'm deeply indebted to you guys as well uh, that I'm allowed to do this as a job. So very appreciative of Jeff, very appreciative of you guys, and just I think that's always good to remind our people of. Okay, so who knows that recently here in Evansville we had a TEDx talk? Raise your hand if you knew about that. Yeah? Okay, that reminded me uh, of a gal named Sherry Turkle. Who's heard of her? Probably no one. Okay. Sherry Turkle is an MIT professor, a trained sociologist, a clinical psychologist, and an author. She wrote um, a fascinating book entitled Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. You might want to jot that down. It's called Alone Together. Turkle complimented Alone Together with her own TED Talk a number of years ago, uh, which is received more than 3 million views to date. Her TED Talk is entitled Connected But Alone. Connected But Alone. And if you're signed up for our weekly e-newsletter, I sent out a link to that TED Talk this week, so, you know, check it out or uh, sign up for our newsletter so you can get stuff like that in advance. Uh, Connected But Alone. And I thought about, am I the only one who feels that on a regular basis, connected but alone. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, blue notifications, orange notifications, red notifications, beeps, and buzzes, and blinks, and friends, and fans, and followers. I fight through my day just to empty my inbox, and I fall asleep exhausted from that, and then I wake up to a new day, and an inbox that's full again. With all of that activity, with all of those exchanges, with all of that connectivity, it seems that people are increasingly guarded against the heart of it all, which is actual human interaction. You can find these staggering statistics. I encourage you all to go out online, spend some time digging, about how much we use our devices, uh, specifically smartphones. One study found that on average... Americans stare at their smartphones 90 minutes every single day. When's the last time you had a 90-minute long conversation? And 90 minutes might not seem like much, but over the course of a year, that costs you 23 days. If you look at your smartphone for 90 minutes a day, that's 23 days over the course of a year. And still, 90 minutes is on the low end of those studies. Some say that we spend up to 4.7 hours every single day looking at our smartphones. That's 71 days per year. 71 days per year. Turkle says that we expect more from technology and less from each other, less from one another. Here's how she puts it in Alone, to, alone Together. You can follow along with me on the screen. Technology is seductive when what it offers meets our human vulnerabilities. And as it turns out, we are very vulnerable indeed. We are lonely but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our networked life allows us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. Do you guys feel that? 
our loneliness, our fears of intimacy are, are unraveling the fabric of friendship. And that's the title of today's sermon, The Fabric of Friendship. While I'm sure Turkle's observations apply to us today, since we're kind of the Americans that she spent her time studying, I really want to bring it home here to City Church because we too can hide from each other, even though we're tethered to each other. It's easy to go to church and to leave church Sunday after Sunday, to come, to be present, and yet to hide, ultimately to hide from God. Uh, While we consider the words of uh, worship songs or the scripture, to hide from ourselves, certainly to hide from one another's. To hide even as we're tethered to each other. I want you to see that the New Testament makes these fascinating proclamations regarding our tetheredness as believers in Jesus Christ. Let me draw your attention to one. Uh, you can find it in detail in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, but we'll put it up on the screen as well. So, regarding our tetheredness, our togetherness as believers in Jesus, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God has put the body together. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This seems to be the embodiment, and I wrote no pun intended, but really that was a pun intended. So this, this is like the embodiment of something that Aristotle said about friendship. He said that a friend is one soul abiding in two bodies. And I think that the church is the embodiment of that one soul in two bodies, one soul in many bodies. So today as we consider uh, the fabric of friendship, I want all of us to see four fabrics that weave friendship together. Time, trust, trouble, and transformation. To see these fabrics through the lens of a familiar interaction between Jesus and some phenomenal, phenomenal friends, uh, we can go to Luke chapter 5. So go ahead and flip with me in your Bible or in, in an app, because I know you got your device, you're staring at it right now, to Luke chapter 5. And just as a reminder, on our app we have a, a section uh, that reads sermon notes. So if you click sermon notes, uh, then you can click uh, the fabric of friendship. And you can follow along with these slides as well on your device in our app. So, picking up in Luke chapter 5 at verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Let me stop it right there just for one moment. At this point, it's very early on in Jesus' ministry. Very early on. Uh, But he's already like a local celebrity. Um, So as I thought about this, you know, think about like the cover of Evansville Living Magazine. Right? A local celebrity. Because news has spread that Jesus can heal lepers. And he can heal the demon-possessed. So as he makes his way back from a teaching tour of local villages throughout Galilee, people gather in droves to see him up close and personal. Who's this man who's rumored to be able to heal the sick? 
And so all sorts of people have gathered into a home. So many, in in fact, that the house is now full. Even more people have gathered, so it's like busting out of the seams of the house. But don't get it twisted. It's not like the Jesus Jubilee fan club. That's not who has shown up to see Jesus. As we'll find out shortly, uh, not everyone who has gathered has done so out of good intentions. While some were there with sincere interest to see Jesus, others were sincerely interested in opposing Jesus. Teachers of the law, the religious elite seeking to set Jesus up, seeking to trap him. Haters, doubters, lovers, supporters, the hopeful and the hateful all slammed up next to one another, bursting out the seams of this house. That's the context. And I'm sure that none of them, the haters or the hopeful, the lovers or the haters, were expecting what was going to happen next. Pick up with me at verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Scripture like this can become so familiar to us, but I love these dudes. Like, I need some of these guys in my life. What friends? Who can say they have friends like these guys? There's a modern phrase that summarizes this kind of friendship, uh, and I know you guys are a pretty hip church, so I'm sure that you've heard this phrase. These friends are about that life. They're not going to stop. They're not going to quit. They're not going to give up on their friend. All for the sake of their friend, they're about that life. And what a beautiful picture of the fabric of friendship we see right here in this fabulous friendship. Time, trust, trouble, and transformation. So first, we see time. Admittedly, uh, I'm reading into the text, so give me a little bit of grace here. But I would, I would say that these types of friendships take time. They require time. Friends who are willing to carry the dead weight of your paralyzed body on your mat to a party where everyone is, all kinds of people, so many that they can't fit into a house, and not only that, but when they see they can't get in, they're about that life. They don't stop. They continue carrying you, not just horizontally now, but vertically, right? Up on top of the house, they arrive on top of the roof uh, that they have to dismantle, and then they lower you down into the packed house. Those kind of friendships develop over time. They take time. You can't microwave friendships. You can't fast food friendships. You can't stream friendships. You can't Amazon two-day prime friendships. These kind of friendships, the kind of friendships that we were made for and that we long for, take time. Could the hectic pace of our culture, right, day in, day out, going, nonstop, every day, be one of the reasons that we feel connected but alone? How often do people say, hey, man, So good seeing you. We should really get together. Y'all do that this week? And then you don't see somebody for a month or like a year until next year at that same party. And you say, man, it's so good seeing you. Really, we should get together. And you don't. Again, and another year passes. And I'm guilty with you right along with it. But I wonder if how chaotic our culture is keeps us from connecting with one another, giving time. But these guys, they had something special. And undoubtedly, they had invested immense amounts of time into their friendships with one another. Time is the first fabric of friendship. Secondly is trust. Time, trust. I can't imagine what it must have been like for this paralytic man to entrust himself 
to these friends. Our world isn't a kind place to people uh, with handicaps. At this point, it's become increasingly uh, accessible and politically correct. But behind all of that, behind closed doors, there's still a, a wave of cruelty. Our world isn't a kind place to people with disabilities, and neither was their world. Jewish, Jewish culture believed that you were to blame if you had a disability. It's your fault. Further, they believed it was a sign of God's curse on you that either you had sinned or one of your parents had sinned in some way. You may recall the story of uh, Jesus giving sight to a blind man. And he goes before the Pharisees and they kind of scrutinize him. And then they don't believe his testimony so they call in his parents. And they scrutinize his parents. And his parents are fearful. So they say, yo, you can ask him. He's old enough. They're terrified. The healing. They're terrified of the sick, of the disabled. And they ridicule them. They think it's their fault that they sin. And so this is the world in which these friendships developed. How many times had this paralytic man been rejected and ridiculed when he was growing up by other kids in the neighborhood? You guys know how kids are. There's like this, this lie that kids are pure <laughs> or that they're sweet or nice. They're some of the most wicked little creatures. Maybe not the babies, right? The babies are cute. They're adorable. They're sweet, but... People are like, why don't you guys have kids? I'm like, why do you have kids? How often uh, had he been made fun of and taunted as he was laying on the side of the road, which these uh, disabled people had to do in that culture, begging for money? How many jokes had been made at his expense? And yet, somewhere along the line, to have these kinds of friendships, that same paralytic man had to trust these guys. He had to entrust himself to them. And again, even as we just read, in that very moment, he had to trust them again. What if they drop him, right? That's not a big deal while we're going horizontal, but have somebody carry you up a set of stairs onto a roof, and then that's a lot worse, right, to be dropped from a roof. It's very difficult to trust, though, isn't it? Do you guys find it difficult to trust? To entrust yourself to other people. Trust requires vulnerability, and we prefer strength. But to develop friendships like this, friendships that we were made for, friendships that we long for, you can't always be the strong one. You have to let other people carry your mat sometimes. And regardless of the fronts and the facades that we put on, we all have a mat of sorts. Maybe your mat is fear, anxiety, addiction, Maybe it's anger or control, a physical deformity. Maybe it's something that you've done to someone else in the past or maybe something that someone has done to you in the past. At some point, you have to trust people, enough to let them carry your mat. Trust is this necessary fabric of friendship that requires that we know what our own mats are, what's your issue, that we know ourselves, that we show our mats to other people, that we're willing to be honest and vulnerable with people, and that we give them the permission into our problems so that they can carry our mats. Is there anyone in your life who knows your mat, who you've shown your mat, who you've allowed to carry your mat, someone who you can call in the middle of the night who will be there for you? And as I thought about this, an illustration came to mind, and I was like, 
I'm their pastor. I probably shouldn't give them this example. But here we go. Here's an example of me letting someone carry my mat. Uh, my wife and I, you guys probably know this, we bought a house downtown about a year ago. This big old beautiful behemoth. It's a money pit. It's the worst decision of my life. But we decided to put new doors on the front of it. It's a duplex. We said we're going to get these cool new big doors. So I'm looking all over the internet and I find the doors. They're out in California. FedEx says $700 to bring them back home. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So I get on U-Ship. You guys know Bidding Wars? That, that show, Bidding Wars? So I get on U-Ship, and this guy says, I'll bring him back to Evansville for $300. I said, my man. So I paid him. He's going to bring the doors. As soon as he gets the doors, he's like, but you owe me some more money now. You owe me $75 more. So I call him. I'm like, hey, man, I'm not giving you that $75. We agreed on $300. i am not paying you. He's like, all right, well, then I'm not going to bring the doors. I said, we'll figure it out. Get the doors here. So he gets the doors here, and he's like sending me text messages, threats kind of the whole way along, saying, you owe me more money. If you don't give me the more money, I'm going to keep your doors, whatever. So he gets here. And again, he's threatening me. Uh, we're at a staff meeting, right? Talking about church and praying for folks. And I got this guy threatening me on my text message. I'm like, ooh, wait. So I drive home to get the doors. And I call my friend in my weakness, right? In my fear, in my concern. I call my friend Jacob. And I haven't been in a situation like this for a number of years. But I'm like, hey, man, I think it might be some problems back in my house. Uh, I'd really appreciate if you could come just in case anything goes down. So Jake's like, all right, I'm going to be there. So Jake comes, and he's, he's there before I get there. He calls me. He's like, hey, this dude is really big. <laughs> I'm like, I need to call another friend. I called another friend. He didn't pick the phone up. It was Peter. Peter ends up coming by. So we're all three on the porch. Anyway, the point is, I called this guy at the drop of a dime. It was a Thursday night at 10 o'clock. There was some potential trouble, and he was willing to be there in an instant for me. Do we have friendships like that? Have we spent the time given the trust to develop the kind of friendships that we were made for and that we long for? Time, trust, and the third fabric of friendship, a willingness to go to a great deal of trouble. These guys went to a great deal of trouble, didn't they? It had to be burdensome to carry this grown paralytic up the stairs to the roof. I mean, my brother-in-law like helped my in-laws carry the Christmas tree up and down the stairs, and that was tough, but nothing like this. And, and just as a side note, uh, in this era and in this area, homes were built with exterior staircases uh, that could go onto sort of a porch roof type situation. Uh, so they get on top of the roof, they go up the stairs, and a roof is made of uh, wooden cross beams matted with reeds and branches, dried and fixed with layers of mud, and these guys dig through all of that, making sure that there's a large enough hole to drop their friend through, lower him into the house. What a great deal of trouble they went to for their friend. To have the friendships that we were made for, to have the friendships that we long for, there must be a willingness to go through the trouble that they require. Friendships require patience, help, generosity, a willingness to listen more than you prefer at times, a willingness to be inconvenienced. But that's what friends do for one another. They carry each other's mats from time to time. Time, trust, the willingness to go to a great deal of trouble, which leads to the discovery of the fourth fabric of friendship, which is transformation. And here we'll continue reading, so let's pick up in verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. What? That's not what he wanted to hear. I bet this dude was so disappointed. 
right? They went through all of this trouble. He let his friends carry him on a mat for who knows how long to a packed house party. They dealt with the embarrassment. I'm sure some of the people who had made fun of him were there. And they go up the stairs. He's trusting them. He watches, sits by as they commit property damage. All the attention is drawn to them. And at the apex of the attention, they drop him down right in front of the life of the party, right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, your friends, or I'm sorry, your sins are forgiven, my friend. And I'm sure he's thinking, my friend, you are crazy. But see, this is what happens when followers of Jesus allow their lives to be woven with the fabric of friendship into the lives of others. There's healing that happens. There's transformation that happens. See, the friends of this paralytic man knew that he needed physical healing, but what Jesus knew was that he also needed spiritual healing. So as his friends brought Jesus, brought him to Jesus for one of those things, Jesus gave him both. In the context of relationship, which Jesus refers to as friendship, Jesus restores life to the soul that's paralyzed by sin. Jesus restores life to the soul that's been paralyzed by sin. Let's not miss the remainder of the story here at verse uh, 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The most religious guys in the room, they're the doubters. They're the haters. They're the one with the hard heart towards Jesus. How ill is that? The most religious guys in the room. Jesus, their long-awaited Messiah, right, with bits of straw and mud and chips of wood sprinkled throughout his hair and his beard from the roof being torn apart above him, warmly welcoming this disruption brought by these fantastic friends. And as he looks at their friend, he says, your sins are forgiven. He heals them. The socially outcasted and religiously scrutinized person is who Jesus calls friend and tells them that the debt of his wrongdoing And the burden of his brokenness is forgiven. It's been accounted for. And from the front row, right, the best seats in the house, the religious rulers can't muster up even a bit of compassion for this guy, blinded by their own self-righteousness. Self-righteousness that came as a result of memorizing scripture, mastering theology, and adhering to very strict rules. Men who are so good that they're actually bad only interested in fact-checking Jesus' theology, not interested in carrying anyone's mat or carrying one of their friends on their mat to Jesus. And I noticed a stark contrast here that I want to bring to your attention. I wonder if some of y'all have noticed it as well. Religion that carries people away from Jesus and relationships that carry people to Jesus. That's what's before us right here. Religion that carries people away from Jesus and relationships that carry people to Jesus. 
Which begs the question for those of us who consider ourselves Christian. Are you carrying people away from Jesus or towards Jesus? Religion that carries people away from Jesus most likely, consequently, carries people to us. Whether it's your smug and self-righteous, judgmental, religious observation in the very classic sense. Or kind of the new religion of irreligion which so many of my friends practice. The new religion of irreligion, the irreligion of dissidents, rejecting the Christianity that they were raised with. That's the religion that they practice. The irreligion of humanism, rejecting the supernatural, rejecting the miraculous, rejecting the absolute, rejecting the eternal. The irreligion of intellectualism, rejecting what they perceive as the archaic, outdated, restrictive, simplistic, cliche, tenets of Christianity. That's the religion that so many of my friends practice, but in all of that rejection, right, and all the things that we're not about, what are we about? In all of that rejection, is there anything in your life that says anything about accepting and embracing the person of Jesus? Are you carrying people away from Jesus, or are you carrying people towards Jesus? Jesus, the Son of Man, who uses his authority on earth to forgive sins, to restore the social and religious outcast, and refers to that person as his friend, that Jesus, who welcomes and teaches the hateful and the hopeful, one in the same, not about how to be a better person, but about himself. That's what Jesus teaches, about himself. Jesus, who teaches men and women To refer to God as Abba, Father, Daddy. That's what Jesus teaches. Jesus who teaches, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, do you guys know what that word is? Friends. Instead, Jesus says, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus who stepped out of eternity into time. Investing his time and his life into humanity. Jesus who chose to trust an adolescent girl to birth him. Sustain him and raise him. What would y'all trust an adolescent girl with? Jesus who chose to trust broken, sinful men and women with his own well-being. Who chose and still chooses to trust men and women to love and to lead his church and his work in the world, who went to the ultimate trouble, like I preached on last weekend, of being forsaken by God, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that you and I would not have to be forsaken by God. Jesus, who is the cornerstone of all transformation in the world, in the galaxies, in the whole universe. Jesus, whose unraveling of his very self wove together the fabric of friendship between God and between man. I'll borrow from Sherry Turkle once again. She has a quote in that Alone Together book, and really it's, it's fascinating. I encourage you all to, to read it. She says, These days, insecure in our relationships and anxious about intimacy, we look to technology for ways to be in relationships and to protect ourselves from them at the same time. Men and women that these days are tethered together yet hiding from one another are looking and longing 
for relationships woven together with the fabrics of friendship, time, trust, trouble, and transformation. And for every one of us who believe in the Lord Jesus, we have an incredible opportunity as the people who are tethered together in Christ, like the body scripture that we read earlier in 1 Corinthians, to engage both ourselves and the men and women around us for the relationships that we were made for and in the relationships that we long for. While there are countless ways to do that, one of the ways that we've chosen to do that uh, here at City Church, for those of you who call City Church home, is through our new City Life Group ministries. And I know we've pitched those and tried to sell them and pushed them and emailed and talked about them. People who call City Church home are now investing their time, their trust. They're going to the trouble and seeing the transformation of creating friendships that we were made for and that we long for. I think I've told you guys this. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old in August of 2003. And in September, I was in a Young Life Leadership training. I was like, what is this? Where am I? How did I get here? I feel that way every single Sunday morning. I'm like, how did I get here? But somehow I was enveloped in this community, in this intentional gathering of people who were giving their time and going to trouble And I was being transformed because of that givingness. That's how I was discipled. That's how I learned to follow Jesus by four women who went to those lengths for me, for my own behalf. And I'm here today in part because of their investment. I remember when we moved to Evansville in 2009, there were a couple other couples uh, that had also moved to Evansville around that time. And we got connected. They kind of reached out to us and said, hey, essentially, we want to do a group with you guys. We want to set aside intentional time to be together because we're tethered together so that we can do life with one another and build the relationships that we long for and that we were made for. I see Josh Schuller here this morning. I remember when I first met him, he was one of the first guys that I met when I came to Evansville. And he kind of took me under his wing. He ended up giving me a job. Uh, helping me learn about ministry. We worked at a church together for a short season. But that's how relationships happen. Not from up here, from you guys. You guys are the people who change the world. We Christians, believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, change the culture of city church, change the city of Evansville when we choose the fabric of friendship, time, trust, trouble, and transformation. And again, just for uh, clarity, I am pushing and trying to sell city life groups. Absolutely. In the same way that I'm pushing and trying to sell, essentially, the gospel. I believe in it. My life has been changed by it. Countless stories have been changed by the gospel. Countless stories have been changed by Christians who are intending and choosing community over self. That's essentially the story of Christianity throughout all time. People always want to talk about these radical ways to be Christian. One of the most radical ways to be Christian in the day and age that we live in is to close our device to turn off our cell phone, to sit down, to make ourselves vulnerable and available to people, to ask them how they're doing. In the day and age that we live in, where we're tethered and yet hiding, that is radical. Will you guys pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, the the lengths, uh, the extremes, the immense time that you've invested uh, in us the trust that you have given to us, uh, feeble clay pots, the trouble that you have gone to on our behalf and being forsaken so that we need not be forsaken, and the transformation that isn't complete, 
uh, but that has certainly been started in, in my life, uh, in the life of the leadership of City Church, and in countless lives of people who call City Church home. We know that it was what you did that has caused our transformation, the transformation that is being carried to completion because of the good work that you started. Lord God, allow us to be thoughtful and considerate uh, about the ways that our culture influences us. Allow us to be aware that uh, when we are tethered um, to the grid, we often use that as a way to hide from one another. And people are hiding because they're guilty and because they've been hurt and because they're broken and because they're scared. And we preach a gospel, we believe a gospel that you, God, became man to set the captives free, to liberate the oppressed. God, we have such short and precious lives. And I want to be a friend like these fabulous friends who went on this outrageous, radical journey that was all about friendship. And they were able to see their friend healed physically. They were able to see their friend healed spiritually. And we're talking about them 2,000 years later, all because of friendship. Lord God, I thank you that you have called us your friends because of what you have completed on the cross for humanity. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.